0: All right, so the podcast that we released on Fair Trade and Alter Ego a few weeks ago was the first episode of Trek About that you, the loyal listeners, heard after our Star Trek Discovery coverage. And this is actually the first podcast that we are recording after Star Trek Discovery.
1: Yeah, it has felt... Now, I know it's a little unfair because this is a third season episode of the third Star Trek show in the, in a while, so there is a bit of more experience going on here, but damn, it feels good to be going back to a good show.
0: And did you ever think you would say that about Star Trek Voyager?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it's true. I mean, these are... Late season three, there isn't anything particularly special about either of these episodes. None of these are big episodes. Neither of these are. But, and here's something we said a lot about in Discovery, both of them have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and tell a story. And it's crazy how, you know, a lot has been talked about how serialization is the future of television and all of that crap, but... This feels so much more advanced than what we had in Discovery because it's actually a thing.
0: It yeah, feels complete. I, it's it's weird because visually, like the directing style and everything about Star Trek Voyager obviously feels a little dated. It feels yeah. like a show of the 90s because it is a show of the 90s. It it certainly doesn't have that cinematic quality that television now has and Star Trek Discovery had in particular. But you're right, like in terms of the storytelling quality, uh, take any random episode of Star Trek Discovery. And of course, you know, we are being a little churlish here because Star Trek Discovery has only had nine episodes released so far. And well, maybe now at this point, I don't know exactly when this podcast is coming out, but I I think it's before Star Trek Discovery comes back for the second half Mm. of the first season. Uh, Take any random episode of Star Trek Discovery and take any random episode, I would say, you know, just to be charitable of the first season of Star Trek Voyager. And I think that that random episode of Star Trek Voyager would be more satisfying. Honestly. Well, you know,
1: you go from the first nine of Voyager, even though Voyager had a little bit to go. I think it knew who its characters were. It knew the kinds of stories it wanted to tell. It knew what it was about. And... In a way, that Star Trek Discovery, we still don't have a handle on who half the characters are. We still don't know what they're – there is – I can see a use for things being shrouded in mystery, right? Like, yeah, you know, I don't know what this is going to be. It's going to be a much more complicated story, sure, but I don't know. I'm thinking about something like Garrick, for example. Let's go to DS9. He was so shrouded in mystery, we didn't know who Garrick was at, but – He was really fucking entertaining from his, like, very first moment. That is partially due to Andrew Robinson being just really good at the character and knowing the character well enough that he wrote a novel about it. But um, I don't know. It just seems like this is a very different style of television. And it's one that I didn't realize how much I missed until watching these. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, I I was so happy to get back to Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, and, and I think for all of the reasons you're describing, I mean, I, I would not go so far as to say that Star Trek Voyager was a show that that knew what it wanted to do in its first season, but because we don't right because we don't know. I mean, Star Trek Discovery mm-hmm. might know what it wants to do in its first season and it might be doing it. Uh, it might just be bad at doing it. I, we you know honestly we don't know. But I what what I. I think the way that I want to talk about this is there was a, I don't remember who wrote it and I don't remember exactly what they said, but I recall (laughs) seeing a review of, I know that's so, uh, so fair to the person, isn't it? (laughs) Somebody said a thing
1: and it was kind of went like, you know, da, 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 da. and I thought that was very profound.
0: But it was a review of Star Trek discovery or at least the pilot of Star Trek Mm -hmm. discovery. And it it basically threw shade on like all of Star Trek before Star Trek Discovery because essentially there is this strain of television criticism out there which basically says yeah 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 like all of that eighties and nineties and seventies and sixties TV was good enough for the time but yeah. now we have real TV yeah and I don't I I fundamentally disagree with that I think that when we look back on this era of television stretching from the you know sort of the mid 90s with the the touch points being like the sopranos and breaking bad and and shows like that and shows to come and kind of looking at that spread of you know however long it's going to last the evolution of television as an artistic medium and specifically how they tell stories I I think that it's not going to wear as well as people think of it right now. For example, I don't think Game of Thrones is a very good television show. Yeah. And I think the the in 50 years I don't think people are going to be watching Game of Thrones. Um I think in 50 years people will still be watching Star Trek the Next Generation. And well because it's 50, it's almost 50
1: years right and people are still watching the original series
0: right right and so the the you know there's there's a fashionableness to serialized television right now that i think is causing people to turn their nose up at shows like star trek voyager frankly and you know the thing is like distant origin and displaced like you said are not like they're not doing anything that special but they're satisfying to watch and you can walk away with them and be satisfied with what you got.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, distant origin particularly is kind of a weird episode to come back to. It's fucking
0: batshit. Yeah. It's an episode which posits that like (laughs) intelligent dinosaurs evolved (laughs) on earth and then left earth and went to the Delta quadrant.
1: Yeah. But I mean,
0: this is now canon in Star Trek. (laughs) It's, it's, it's goofy Star Trek
1: shit that I love. Like, it, it, it's, there is nothing cool about the plot of Distant Origin, and I like that. Like, Discovery feels like it's trying, it, Discovery is embarrassed about its own nerdishness in a lot of ways, and this just really much more wears its heart on its sleeve. Um, you know, st- Discovery comes from the nerds one and now the people who would have been jocks are now nerds and, you know, they're still the same people who are still, you know, dealing with positional goods and, you know, trying to be elite in society and now they're making a Star Trek show and they, they don't want to go into the embarrassingly geeky parts of it. Voyager goes there. But even beyond the plot of it, the structure of it is very weird to just come back to because, I mean it's 15 minutes before we see a single Voyager character. Yeah. You know, it starts from the perspective of these dino scientists and you know, it, it, it's it doesn't stand alone in that way. I mean, this is not an episode that you would, you know, sh- oh, I've never seen an episode of Voyager before. Okay, well, here's one. Um uh, um you know, Displaced is maybe a little better of an introduction to it, but I don't know. All, all I can think of it about is how great it felt to see all these people again. You know, it almost felt like, you know, oh, we're you know, we're back from summer break and we're back seeing our old friends from college. Like, oh, it's great to see them again. Like, it's great to see the crew of the Voyager again. I don't really think I will feel that way about seeing Michael Burnham and Stamets and, you know, maybe a little bit of Vincent Tilly, but she's starting to grate on me. Like, it, it, it's... I don't know. This is a – certainly Voyager has made some missteps with character, and certainly there have been some things. But there are some really good characters on there, maybe not as great as TNG or DS9, but I like the Voyager cast.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that that, that's very true, And, and what it comes down to for me is that Star Trek Voyager is a good television show. Is it a great television show? No. Is it a classic television show? No. But it's a good show. And certainly you can quibble with it. We have quibbled with it. We have criticized it when it deserves to be criticized. Well, that's our job. And and well, yeah. And and I think that on the whole would I rather watch an episode of Deep Space 9 or TNG? Yes, I would. But I've really come around to the show. You know, I I never Really thought it was that terrible, and I, I think that it's getting a little bit more esteem as we've gotten further, f- further and further away from its first run, and also as we've gotten further and further into the era of serialized television. Um, I mean, because like you said, "Distant Origin" is a weird episode; its structure is very odd, but you can kind of get away with do- that's the other thing too yeah. about about episodic television and yeah. episodic storytelling is that you can get away with doing formally experimental and tonally experimental or off things you can't really get away with that as much in serialized television and I think we miss something from that. You know, we miss episodes like Distant Origin, which again is a batshit crazy episode that posits that dinosaurs evolved to be intelligent on Earth and then left and went to the Delta Quadrant. And here we are 65 million years yeah. later, and the crew of the USS Enterprise is encountering them. That's an insane concept for an episode, but it sells it. And is it saying anything profound about the human condition? Is it you know I mean, a strong character episode not really but it's
1: trying to make points about you know and, and this is i i I don't know if I'm able to talk astutely about this quite yet but this has been um in general I think in the late 90s people were trying to rebel against certain uh standards of propriety um i mean i'm thinking about stuff like uh you know the pmrc hearings you know and all all the stuff that was going on in music at the time feeling like there was you may have to
0: explain that to me because i don't know what that is
1: okay well this is more late 80s uh but uh tipper gore and a bunch of other people uh thought that in you know music was getting too foul too profane and so they uh had a you know basically a series of hearings about this um you know, people like Frank Zappa and Dee Snider testified very eloquently at these, you know, basically defending, you know, rock music as an art form and all of that. But this eventually led to stuff like the parental advisory stickers on – um On on albums and things like that. Okay, Um, yeah.
0: I just didn't know it as as that name.
1: Okay, yeah. uh, Parents, Music, Something or Other Council, something like that was what it stood for. Because that
0: that was an attempt to to get a rating system for music like there was for movies at the time, right? Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, um... And I know in the late 90s, there was, you know, in the 90s, edginess was very hip because I I think that was, you know, that was certainly a reaction to the very conservative 80s feeling that, um, you know, these were attempts to, you know, silence certain voices and, you know... Edginess was a way of getting more diversity now, of course, with the, with the way that the Internet is now, you know, and lords and all of that, you know, that, that, that the conservative people have become edgy themselves. And, you know, there are, are issues like that. But um, I, I'm really getting far afield of the initial point that I was trying to make. And I've completely forgotten. On it track here. about oh. what a shock. Right. Um, how did I get into this topic? Um, yeah, I, I think we were talking I, oh,
0: about the edginess he, of, of distant origin.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, distant origin is talking about um, a certain conservatism in society that is not questioning itself, that is going with a certain, I mean, doctrine is the term that they use, sure. which is so on the nose here. But, you know, it's, it's one that works for the kind of story that they're trying to tell, um, that there are is a strain in society which is not willing to question certain ideas, which is not willing to uh, go against it. I mean, this is going back to Galileo, of course, but this is, you know, well, that's, I think that's
0: funny enough because he may appear in the next episode, but we'll we'll get to oh. that one next week.
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but initially, or, but, sorry, now I ulti- think it's
0: I think it's Leonardo da Vinci. Sorry.
1: Well, um, the ultimate point of distant origin is that you have a society which is being confronted by ideas that are new and which are not necessarily um, – I mean this is something we're dealing with now, global warming. Well, the, the – the, uh, our government doesn't like the idea of global warming because that forces it to confront certain truths about itself that will force it to change, that will force it to – uh, react differently. And so it is being extremely hostile to the scientists who are trying to, you know, talk about global warming. This is something that happened in Soviet times uh, with issues of genetics and things. I mean, this is, you know, I I do think it does have some, you know, maybe it's not the most profound way of saying it, but this is a topic which does happen in real life.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that that you know, I don't. I don't know how much I want to lay uh, this on Star Trek Voyager's feet, but I. But I think we also need to place this in a particular time and and place. Then, because, you know, one of the things that was really clarifying for me, which I had never heard about in quite this way before, is that uh, I'm reading this this book by uh, Malcolm Harris, I believe his name is, who who wrote a book about millennials and basically saying that oh. that you know they are a product of of. They are the product of what baby boomers and everybody else and Gen X and, and all the other generations that have come before and that, you know, they're criticizing them is, is sort of ridiculous that their coping mechanisms are there because of neoliberalism capitalism. And, you know, which I agree with. And and I think that one of the one of the reviews I read of the book said that, you know, this is a generation that has come of age in, in a world where capitalism is the only Form of commerce, the only form of of life, culture, society, in existence. You know, before that, there was there were always you know there were communist societies um, that were ascendant, that were very strong and powerful. I mean, the the Cold War was all about communism versus capitalism, and you know how much you actually think that the Soviet Union lived up to its communist ideals or not is an open question, but. It was always sort of understood that capitalism had a strong opposition, and gener- and, and, and millennials are the first generation in, in a long time to come of age in a world where that is not true. And so everything that millennials do, say, read is is mitigated through the lens of mm. capitalism. And I think that's really right. And so, when you look at an episode like *Distant Origin*, and I am not saying that *Distant Origin* is an episode about neoliberalism or capitalism, but I, I think part of that is true. Like, it's a grappling with what does the world look like now? What what does it look like in 1996 when the Cold War is over, the Soviet Union has fallen, hmm. you know, Eastern Europe has completely restructured itself. It, it, You know what? You know, very famously, I think uh, this this historian uh, Fukuyama or something like that. You know, called it the end of history. Right? Like this is it. We're done. Capitalism has won, and now we are finding that to not necessarily be the case. That that this is causing enormous problems in society and will not end well for a variety of reasons. But I, I think that's kind of what was going on in the culture, and this is a sort of you know pop culture attempt at at grappling with that question
1: yeah i mean maybe they did, they might not necessarily have had the exact language for that might not have been talking about exactly that but this is a series in which the federation is a post capitalist society this is at least in the back of the writers brains and the brains of the production you know staff and so some of that is going to come out of there um i i i Maybe that's part of our issue with Discovery. It doesn't feel socialist enough. But, um, the, I mean, it is funny in that the ways that, um, the woman who's the, you know, head of the, you know, who's the judge, what, what is her title or her name or anything? I don't think I
0: wrote it down.
1: The counselor, the chancellor, whatever she is, um, you know, the queen, whoever she is, um, But the way that she's reacting is the way that I hear people react is very similar to the way I hear people react to capitalism being questioned Yeah, in a lot of ways like, you know, her thing when she's saying, well, you tell me this and it makes it look like, you know, we're this weak crawling species. I mean, you know, tell tell someone who's a, you know, who is a very good adherent of capitalism, you know, what what? That's, you know, society needs to protect its, you know, weakest members. Well, nobody has a right to health insurance. You know, what, what does that mean? What we're just going to protect the weak? You know, we're going to protect people who aren't working for it. You know, what, what, what we're not a strong society if you do this. You know, capitalism forces people to be better, up themselves up by their bootstraps. I mean, they do. They are cousins
0: in reaction. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I mean, I think that you see that in, in a line like at the end when she says we are not immigrants, you know, and yeah, it's very on the nose. And I think that, that you know, Star Trek at its best sometimes is, is on the nose, frankly. <laughs> uh, you know, Star Trek for all of its wonderful things is not necessarily a, a subtle series or a subtle franchise. But and you know, that has been an issue in America f- for decades and was certainly an issue in the 90s. And I think it it has become even more you know derigger now that, that that is sort of a thing that is happening, and that is how Trump got elected, for example, or one of the reasons why Trump got elected. But I also think that that interestingly enough, it's it's there. It's a you know I'll, I'll contradict myself a little bit because I think it is a little bit subtle because it never it, it never highlights the fact that the opposite of the Voth are the Federation, you know. You know, contrast the mm. way in which the the leader of the Voth or whoever that is reacts to uh, Gagan and Veer's research and their their fi- their finding of the Voyager crew um, with that scene in the holodeck when uh, I believe it's Janeway, the Doctor, mm. and someone else maybe maybe uh, maybe Chakotay. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think it was B'Elanna um where they're just going through their holodeck thing oh okay what would a what would a hadrosaur look yeah. like if it actually evolved on earth and became you know a bipedal uh, you know humanoidish alien and you know they're open to it they're like yeah this is they're cool they're excited about whatever. it whatever
1: they find it you know there there is a sense of almost sadness that they couldn't figure this out earlier you know when they i think it's Chakotay says well you know by now it could be you know on the bottom of the ocean or buried under tons of rock and there's a bit of wistfulness to this like oh man you know all of this stuff of your civilization is lost forever how cool would it have been if we could have found that
0: yeah and that's what's so wonderful about it is that the show does not telegraph that in any way and does not highlight it you know you're just supposed to pick up on that like here are people that are really excited to upend their entire view of of the history of yeah. the, of their planet and it's fun. They think it's great. And the Voth are like the exact opposite of that.
1: Well, I mean, the, the, you know, talk about the origins of humanity versus the Voth. I mean, humanity knew that it, you know, when humanity went to the stars, it found the Vulcans and the Klingons and the Andorians and everybody. And, you know, it cre- it, it helped to create a, a strong galactic civilization. But it knew that it was growing up in a pretty crowded part of the galaxy. Um, the Voth, it seems, you know, heard nothing and, uh, ended up, you know, when they began to explore, it was a long time before they found anybody else. And, uh, So, you know, they talk about birthright, and they feel like they're the first ones to appear. And so far, nobody else that they've met, you know, can trace their origins as far back as they can. And so, you know, all right, you came later. Well, we were here first, so we own this. And, I mean, this is making me realize how dangerous it's going to be if humanity does not find any other species in the galaxy when it begins to, you know, explore much more beyond the solar system than it has.
0: It's very optimistic of you to think that we'll even be able to get off the planet. (laughs) uh, I don't have much optimism about that. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you for sure. Yeah. And I I mean, you know, I think the other part of this, too, is that the the Voth themselves are obviously sort of sketches. I mean, we don't get Hmm. a very strong sense of why the Voth are like this, Uh, aside from the fact that they were there's this supposition that they were the first or one of the first. Uh, you know, sentient alien species to to go into space. You know, this was sixty five million years ago. Who the hell knows what was going on? And they decide they end up in the Delta Quadrant for reasons that are kind of unknown. And, you know, I mean that that's kind of a minor criticism of it. It it's 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 a bit it's a bit leading or a bit didactic. You know, I mean, yeah, the Voth like this. Why would they be like this? I'm not sure. I and- mean there's
1: even an implication that they don't have beyond earth they don't have a home world I mean they keep calling them city ships you know you get the sense that this is a culture that is totally spacefaring totally nomadic
0: yeah, and I mean there there could be reasons for that. I mean, maybe they they have developed some sort of societal taboo against living on planets because of what mm. happened to Earth or something. You know, what I mean, yeah. we're, we're we're kind of extrapolating out. I mean, we don't know, and the the episode doesn't give us give us the uh, information to to really make a decision about that one way or the other. But I think for the purposes of the episode and what it's trying to say, it doesn't really matter. Like the the Voth are not supposed to be taken. As as seriously as a culture as you know the Vulcans, for instance, they're the Voth are more of a concept than anything else, and I I, I think for this episode it it works.
1: Yeah, again, it's trying to do that very Star Trekky allegory thing where this is a you know the Voth are symbolic of conservative resistance to new ideas, to new science, to the truth when uh there is a certain philosophical or religious or societal uh. Doctrine, I guess, is really the best word for it, you know, which says otherwise. Uh, What do you do when you are confronted with an idea which contradicts everything that you've said? I mean, there is a, you know, in the X-Files episode that we watched uh, the other day, um, you know, Scully has a line saying, you know, well, nothing goes against nature. You know, it just goes against what we know about that. And, you know, she, you know, that character finds a lot of hope in that. And, she, you know, that's where she finds the interest and the passion of scientific research. Okay, this goes against everything we know, but we see it. It exists. It's there. Uh, now we've got to change and we've got to figure out what this means. Um, the Voth see that and they wish to suppress that because they can't really deal with it that well.
0: Yeah, and I you know, I think that, that maybe the last thing I'll say about this episode is that the, the ending of it is kind of bittersweet because... Mm. You know gagan is is in this situation, this really untenable situation, this kind of no win scenario in a sense to borrow another yeah. phrase from from uh you know Star trek II, that he he doesn't want to give in, but the the doctrinaire is so insistent on keeping the Voth society under the thumb of doctrine that she is willing to really just do horrible things to the crew of Voyager who who had nothing yeah. whatsoever to do with this. And I think it's a it's a really smart choice to have Gagan I, I forget if he's Gagan or Veer. I think he's Gagan. Gagan, um, Veer is
1: the uh his attache with the yes. uh, big frill.
0: Yeah. That uh that Gagan decides to, you know, give up his life's work and go work in, in, in a completely unrelated field. And that really gives hope to the idea that eventually one day, uh, you know, maybe the Voth will I don't know, like, they'll move into Australia or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end, it, it ends with uh, Gagan holding a, a little globe, a reminder. I mean, at the end of the day, he knows that he was right, and, you know, he knows this exists, Earth exists, we came from Earth, and it may not be his work of his lifetime to do that. He will not be the person to, you know, reveal the truth to the Voth world. But the truth is out there to quote the x files again, and uh that's you know that is a concrete minder I mean that is where Gagan's hope is that even if it's not him, there will be other scientists who will be interested i mean it, it, it's made clear that you know this distant origin theory, sure Gagan is the lead scientist working on this at the time. He is the one who has made the discoveries, but you know crew members have been killed on other planets in the in the delta quadrant right like there is still evidence out there so, you know they the voth may develop a, a warp drive capable of getting to the alpha Quadrant. they may
0: visit it someday and well i think they do i think the implica- they do say that they have transwarp so
1: yeah i mean they may not have gone that far at this point i mean that's i think part of the that that's i think what is what suggested that they you know Kind of stick to their area, but they do it very quickly. But eventually, eventually, this truth will be out there and this truth cannot be controverted. This truth can't be suppressed forever. Maybe even in Gagin's lifetime, he will see doctrine adjust to understand the distant origin theory. Maybe. Maybe.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, because I, I think that, you know, a, a key piece of that is the fact that they mention his followers, you know, that this, yeah. he has supporters, he has followers. They may not be able to, you know, work with him in the public view. But...
1: Yeah, they may be—cowardly They may cowardly isn't quite the right word. They just may not be courageous enough. And, I mean— Certainly, Gagan is willing to accept whatever consequences on himself. But he mentions, you know, for example, to Veer, oh, they'll go after your family and things like that. Um, you know, ha- having the crew of the of the Voyager suffer for him is some is is a line that Gagan will not cross. And there are reasons that these scientists are not willing to do this publicly. But this work will continue underground. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that.
0: All right. Well, I think that's it for Distant Origin. We'll move on to Displaced in just a minute, but we do want to take this opportunity to remind all of you, the listeners of Truck About, that this podcast is listener supported. If you enjoy what we do uh, and you have some extra money that you would like to throw at us each and every month, you can go to patreon.com slash Truck Show and give now. All right. Let's talk about Displaced, which I, I, I think I like a little less than Distant Origin, uh, but it's still... A A pretty decent episode and i think that you know we could have gotten a much worse pairing of episodes to come back to
1: yeah it's another goofy ass star trek episode that doesn't quite make any sense that doesn't quite add up uh but i don't know i i i think it's a It's certainly a very interesting and striking plot in its way. I mean, you have this whole, you know, it is in two different parts. You know, you have this first, why are all these people suddenly going on the ship? Why is this happening? And then when the mystery is solved, well, they're doing it because evil. Then you have it as a, as the action adventure. Well, how do we escape this, this situation? And, you know, it is a very good action adventure show.
0: Yeah, I mean I it's funny you say that because I was about to say almost exactly the same thing that what is so striking about Voyager to me and, and you know looking at it on an episode by episode basis is that I think one of the key questions about Voyagers is, is what is it? You know and, hmm. and 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 you know people have been trying to answer that question for years and I think what it comes down to is that TNG was the Character with sci-fi, right? And DS9 was the very intense character study and the very intense look at Star Trek and sort of an examination of what Star Trek is. As a world, yes. as Yeah, as a world. And then Star Trek Voyager is just really good high concept science fiction stuff. The, yeah. the show is not... Uh, uh, afraid of just doing really crazy plots. And I think both of these are pretty crazy. Hmm. And the character stuff is there, certainly. I mean, we have a whole B-plot surrounding uh, Tom and B'Elanna's budding friendship, maybe romance, but it's not really the focus of the episode and it doesn't really tie into what's going on, I think, as neatly as it would if this was a TNG episode. But it works fine. And I think that... This is not a boring episode of television, and that sounds like I'm damning it with faint yeah. praise, but I'm really not.
1: No, I mean, I, 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 now maybe the later seasons will be a, a different story, but I was led to believe Voyager would be a very boring a lot of the times. And again, they're how are they going to get out of this one? Well, you know, and the answer turns out to be I mean, it's got a few really interesting looking sets to it, it's got you know, intrigue, it's got chasing, it's got all of those things. I mean, just as a, you know, it's Friday night, I'm going to turn my brain off and watch an episode of Star Trek kind of a, a thing.
0: Yeah, because I mean, as as intense as Distant Origin was in, you know, kind of the, the, the things that it was looking at or it wanted to examine, this is a very different type of episode. You know, this is telling a very particular story, uh, that that doesn't really have any like larger resonances to the world or or you know our world, but it's it's very well done. It it's suspenseful, and you get to see Janeway and Tuvok you know skulk around, and you get to see Janeway lorded over some people, and that's great. I mean, you know, I don't know. I guess how how do you feel about Janeway? I think that she's a character that a lot of people have some very conflicted feelings about, and I think that. She, more often than not, is is written a little inconsistently, but I like her in this episode.
1: I mean, I will say I like Kate Mulgrew a lot better than I like Janeway, another actress playing the same character. I would not like the character. I think...
0: That's interesting. Did I ever show you the screen tests of Mm -hmm. uh, Genevieve Bougeau? No, but uh, I knew that another
1: someone else was going to you know initially and in talks with it. Yeah. Well, I mean cuz I I like Jane when she's being badass and she, you know, that end when she's, you know, holding the gun she's like basically like, "Yeah, we've won. So you've just got to surrender now." And you know, "Oh, no, you're not going to surrender." Okay. Well, you know, have Fun. it's very cold you know like i i I have fun
0: freezing to death
1: (laughs) yeah like i like that you know she knows that they're going to surrender she's not going to let them die but at the same time you know she knows she has the upper hand here and you know it was a hard-earned upper hand but she's good at getting the upper
0: hand and you know what's so interesting about that upper hand that I just kind of connected the dots on is that there's no reason why Janeway should have had that upper hand. That that upper hand that the uh Char what is it? Charlian's? No, that- Mirian's. Charlotte was the guy, the neighbor who who we need to talk about because he's a wonderful <laughs> and I want to sit calm with him. But uh the Nereans, you know, the entire reason why Janeway and crew knew that the Nereans had an aversion to to the kind of cold that yeah. a lot of other people on on the ship could could live in for at least a little while or survive is that they told them. It was part of their cover. They never and shut up about it. They never shut up about it. And and that really speaks to the Nereans, I think, overconfidence about their own abilities.
1: Yeah. I mean, you you have a it, 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 it's funny how nervy they are. Like, they're taking over the ship and they're complaining about it the entire time, and so, you know, and and again, that's what gives them the clue at the end. You're right, that is a very good uh, 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 observation on there, and...
0: And the thing is, like they, 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 they should be confident. They took over the ship. They, yeah. they did it very well. They've done this a lot. They seem like they're very good at it. And the only reason why they failed this time is, well, because they came up against the, you know, main characters in a Star Trek show. Yeah,
1: yeah. They came against the Federation. I think it's funny how much of an inflated idea of their own hospitality the Nerians have. I mean, I think they genuinely think. You know, we could be so much worse. We could kill them. We could just leave them on a. I I mean, this is. I'm contrasting to the Kazon in basics, right? Where they, you know, find them a planet that they can live on and they're just like, all right, fuck you, you're on here, you know good luck surviving i mean that's... I think,
0: I think all right fuck you is the best summation of the kazon that i've ever heard by the way
1: <laughs> yeah i mean but that they they basically are no different from the kazon except you know yes they spent a little extra work and they're giving popcorn balls and dried mango as food you know so uh i i i but again i think the the nerian's expect everybody to thank them for this and yeah you know, that 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 does seem to be part of why they get so bent out of shape about the uh about the Voyager not being tailored to their specifications because well we would tailor the ship to their specifications. We did. Right.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean the Nerians seem like a very they're they're very nice fascists, right? They're like well, weaponized hospitality yeah yeah exactly i mean they're they're stealing ships they're you know taking over entire colonies but they're not they're not killing anyone (laughs) i mean we're giving you a new home it's very very nice and i think what's interesting about that is this episode in a way is an examination of the fiction of politeness Mm. that you could kind of tell that the Nereans didn't really like it that janeway was having none of their politeness and she's like No, you you kidnapped us. We're in prison. Like, what are you doing? And the Nereans are like, oh, well, but, you know, that's... But we got you some
1: DVDs and a few copies of Reader's Digest. What's wrong?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, it's not really nice. Um, and I kind of like that idea that, in a way, it's an episode that's just kind of about Janeway. I think the best Janeway episodes are one where she just, like, calls people on their <laughs> bullshit. And this is definitely one of those episodes.
1: Yeah. and I mean, they, they seem to think that there is a difference between prisons, right? Like, whether you're in a... a it's much, you know, and certainly it is much worse to be in a rat-infested dungeon than it is to be, you know, in the compounds where Voyager was taken. But they are still prisoners. They are still being held against their will. And that is where the the problem is,
0: you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing that Star Trek has always been about, that, that it doesn't matter how comfortable you make the prison. It's still a prison.
1: Yeah, and let's, I mean, put it this way. Voyager has had several episodes in which— they have been on a replacement Earth, right? Whether we're talking about the 37s or um, the, the hedonist planet or even basics, you know, this is a place where we could survive, where we could carve out a destiny for ourselves. You know, their neighbor, find, you know, seems to find it fine. But for the crew of Voyager, that's not enough. It's not home. It's not going to be home. You know, whether it's someplace that they're on willingly or not, it's not home. And the goal is to get
0: home. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, too, that that hasn't really been been brought up in a while. But you're right. I mean, that does—they never say anything about that. They never say anything. I think if this had been a season one or even a season two episode, I think there would have been some discussion about, oh, well, we can't stay here because we want to get back to Earth. And they don't mention that in this episode at all. I think it's just kind of understood at this point.
1: Yeah, although there are—you know, as we have kind of cynically said, they've kind of forgotten that they're getting back to Earth. But, you
0: know— well the more charitable i think the more charitable explanation of that would be they don't need to beat it over our it's heads it's true all the time, we you
1: but, know everybody knows you know right now this is life we've got uh four more years you know to do this and you know we've already been you know they're they're a little less than halfway through their journey now
0: i i think it's really interesting how much star trek discovery has made us give voyager the benefit of the doubt <laughs> yeah um so I I'd want to talk about Lisa Klink because she wrote this episode and she uh, is not a writer that really gets talked about very often. I don't know if she's gone. To, I mean, she's probably gone to Star Trek conventions. I've never seen her at Star Trek convention. Um, I have her page open on Memory Alpha right now because I just wanted to look up some of the other episodes that she had written. And it says that she was a contestant on Jeopardy from November twenty oh. sixth through December 3rd, 2007. Earned, she earned nearly $100,000 before being defeated in her sixth appearance. So good for you, Mr. Yeah. Klink. But I like her episodes. She So what's she written? So she wrote Hippocratic Oath, the episode where uh, the Jem'Hadar uh, kidnap O'Brien and Bashir in an attempt to get them off the Ketracel uh, uh, White. Oh, yeah, really good episode. She wrote um, Resistance, the episode where uh, the old man thinks that Janeway is his daughter. Uh, Innocence, the episode where Tuvok has the children that are actually oh, old yeah. people. Uh, she wrote Remember from uh, the Bolana episode where she's reliving the lives of that old woman. Um, she wrote Sacred Ground. She wrote Warlord, the cast episode that we liked a lot. Oh, wow. Okay. Blood Fever she wrote, uh Favorite Son she wrote. These are all the episodes that she's written so far. And she's really good. Yeah. Like I I like her episodes a lot, and I don't know why people don't talk about her more. I just I don't really have anything to to say about it. Enough. She's I a woman. Kinda, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm joking, but
1: not joking.
0: Yeah, I mean I think you might have something there. Uh, so Lisa Clink, if you're listening to this, you're probably not, but uh the chances that you're listening to this are very low. But um, we really like your episodes and come to a Star Trek convention.
1: Or come on our podcast. That too. No, the yeah, you're right. They, they they're episodes which let the characters because I mean I'm thinking of they put the characters in weird situations and let different facets of them develop. I mean, I'm thinking of Tuvok with the kids, right? Like, that's a situation we never thought Tuvok would be in, but it reveals a lot about who he is. Um, you know, Warlord, of course, let Jennifer Lean just do a do a hell of a lot of acting, and in, in a way we never expected she would be able to do. Um, and this one, again, we get that nice, you know, badassness from Janeway, and also it's a good way of getting Tom and B'Elanna to have some aggression about there will they or won't they that they're unfortunately in, but you know in.
0: Well, yeah, let us talk about that because I I I feel like you have some thoughts you would like to share.
1: I mean, they, they they it is partially because they're hitting us over the head with this week. We have that kind of a joking bit where you know in distant origin where they're cloaked and they're watching them are like, yep, that's mating behavior. You know, they're courting each other. She's being hostile. That's You know how they do. And now this episode, you know, makes it kind of there. makes their plot about that. Um, I guess I'm getting used to it. Um, it could be much worse if it were Harry Kim and Balana Cause I do like that. They're, you know, brotherly sisterly towards each other. And
0: I think that would feel really gross.
1: Yeah, it would. Um, especially because you know, remember with uh, Harry Kim and the mosquito peep ladies, who uh, you know, were gonna suck out his life force. Um, you know, whenever Harry Kim is in a romance situation, it just doesn't work. The only person that I buy Harry Kim in a relationship with is uh, Tom Paris, of course, and um, <laughs> they. It, It's interesting. I mean, yeah, Tom Paris is in love with his best friend's sister in a roundabout way. And I don't know. I guess it works. It works. They're fine. You know, I am certainly liking it more than I did it would have have in first season. And, you know, will they or won't they is a thing in television. So we've got to deal with it.
0: I mean, I think that of all the pairings in Star Trek Voyager that you could come up with, um, I mean, obviously, Tom Paris and uh, Harry Kim uh, should be in love, but you know, it's the '90s, so we had to wait uh, 20 more years to to get a gay male uh, romance on Star Trek. But I don't know; they work. I think yeah. they, I think the actors have chemistry. I think Roxanne Dawson and, and Robert McNeil uh, have a acceptable amount of chemistry. I think that you know I can buy Bellana being very. I mean, I, I I think one of the things I liked about this episode so much is you know, Lisa Clank obviously has a good understanding of the characters at, yeah. in as much as they are characters. And that scene where the doctor is psychoanalyzing both of them, I think <laughs> is really, really fun. Uh, and that's true. I mean, Balan is being hostile because she's, you know, trying to uh, keep him away because she has low self-esteem. And, uh, you know, Tom Paris make, makes jokes because he's afraid of intimacy. And that's, that makes sense to me. You know, Uh, I don't think you need to really examine it any more than that, but the show just lays it out on the line. And I actually do like the fact that, you know, they like each other. It's obvious that they like each other. Yeah. It feels, I mean, it feels Um,
1: like the kind of plot development that did come naturally. I mean, I don't think at season one, they said, well, eventually they're going to get, you know, this is at the part where they've had a couple of seasons. The actors work well together and yeah, let's see if they work well romantically. You know, they let's, develop that chemistry that's already there.
0: Yeah, and I think the one thing that I, I find a little not disingenuous, but but a little like, come on guys, you know, is that that thing where Bilana says, I don't know why you want to be my friend, and Tom Parrish is like, I don't know why. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, you guys don't want to be friends necessarily. Um but Balana is trying. You know, I think yeah. that Bilana has gotten lost a little bit in the show. You know, I I, I think that she was probably a little bit of a standout character more in the first season. And she's still there. I think she's still pretty consistent in as far as any of the characters on Star Trek Voyager are consistent. But she doesn't generally get a lot to do. And so Yeah, kind of her when...
1: initial her initial arc was, you know, I'm Maquis, I'm too undisciplined to be in Starfleet, and suddenly I'm in Starfleet, and suddenly she's realizing that. You know, maybe being a chief engineer of a Federation starship is something she actually wants to do and dealing with that. Well, she's dealt with that. Now she has the job. She's been doing it for a little while and she's good at it. She knows she's good at it. Everybody does believe in and count on her now. And, you know, that 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 initial plot is over now. And
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So they can't, you know, in the absence of figuring out what else to do with her, uh, they're giving her a man
0: <laughs> well she's she's working on herself right? well she's he, she's trying to be a more open and emotionally available person
1: but you know to that end tom paris is very similar because again he started off as somebody who you know fucked up everything he had tried and you know was a disappointment to his father and everybody and now um Now he's he does what he does very well. Again, they've trusted him. They trusted him with secret missions. You know he's you know Tom Paris is good at what he does now, and you know his initial character again. He's working his job. He is the helmsman. He is a damn good helmsman, and you know and and on that line, actually, now it does make a lot lot of sense that. Bolana and Tom Paris would see something in each other because they have both kind of overcome very similar obstacles.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. Um, and then I guess maybe the, the last person that we need to talk about, and, and I don't know how much there is to say, but but I mostly just want to talk about how awesome he is. Is Charlotte the neighbor?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you said a think... sitcom character. He is very much the, you know, he goes in. He, I mean, he drops in and immediately begins raiding their fridge, basically. And... I know.
0: <laughs> it's so it's so on the nose. I love it. <laughs> like I don't know, it's just some lizard dude who is really excited that there's new food to eat and he helps them and then he gets kind of scared and goes. I mean, away.
1: you expect there to be a, a a laugh track and applause when he comes in comes in on every scene. <laughs>
0: Well, if Star Trek Voyager was a sitcom, (laughs) I'm sure they would. Well, and I think that's the other thing, too. I mean, that, that, you know, the end of the episode is is interesting because, you know, he runs away and he like, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, I surrender. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, You know, he has definitely got some Stockholm syndrome coming on or whatever. But, you know, it is the case that, that, you know, when Janeway says, "Okay, well, you can stay here, you know, and, and. they say no I don't want to stay here and you have to let everyone go and then we'll do this and you'll be fine. Um she didn't have to do that, but this is a Star Trek show yeah. and that's what you do.
1: Yeah, and I think that is an amount of the upper hand because it is wrong what they're doing and you know the Federation is not a fuck you got mine and you know there have been episodes in which Voyager has been lucky to escape with its life, right? Like where
0: Sure. They haven't
1: been able to get the happy ending for everybody, but, you know, all we can do is leave unscathed. You know, we are only one ship. But when that one ship is able to get the upper hand to the degree that Janeway does, she is going to milk it for everything that, you know, deserves to be. I mean, she is ultimately a force for right, and, you know, she is making sure that good happens. You know, the Federation's job is to leave every place a little better than you found it. She's done that here.
0: And I think that's a good place to leave this episode.
1: Well, hopefully our podcast leaves you, the listeners, a little better than you found it.
0: It's good to be back to Voyager, isn't it? I missed
1: this. I missed this so much. I didn't realize how much I missed this. I mean, I know on our... You know, the, the the episodes that we are releasing currently now, you know, we've said, oh, we don't know how we're going to feel post-discovery. We don't know what it's going to be like. Well, God, if we could just talk to those two guys and be like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know. You don't even know.
0: <sighs> well, if you have any thoughts on Distant Origin Displaced or how happy we are to be back to Star Trek Voyager, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast. At TruckAboutShow.com. dot com, as we said earlier, you can go to Patreon dot com slash truckaboutshow if you would like to give us a little bit of your hard earned money. Uh, please do go to Patreon dot com slash truckaboutshow and give now. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truckaboutshow is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes or Apple Podcast review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. All right, next week we are at the end of the third season of Star Trek Voyager. Oh, man.
1: That was really quick. It feels like we just started it.
0: (laughs) I know. It's been like two weeks. Uh, After this, we have four seasons to go, so we're not quite at the halfway point yet, but we are almost there. We are going to be talking about the episodes Worst Case Scenario and Scorpion Part (gasps) 1.